Rewind with Oisín Langan. Five year chance for Aaron Lennon, the former Spurs man! Aaron Lennon, completely against the run of play, scores for Everton against this former club. He doesn't celebrate, but his teammates are celebrating. Now a chance inside the area for Deli oh. Alley. A Deli Alley equalises for Tottenham. We all knew as individuals we, we weren't good enough defensively, and that's not just a back four. That's as a, that's as a whole unit, and and that's what we worked on as a team. The, the full the full unit getting back into the proper positions and everyone doing their job to the best of their ability. And thought we defended better at times today. The Carter couldn't get there, and it's been turned in by Diego Costa. Three 0 Chelsea lead. And Diego Costa comes across to congratulate William, whose direct running, incision and brilliant all-round play has torn Palace asunder again. Hungry, Dave. These Chelsea players are hungry again. They've rediscovered it. A player like Rory, you want to have around, like Alan, you want to have around, but we've got a big squad. Great opportunity for Rory uh, to go away and experience different culture and lifestyle, and it's a great opportunity for, for the gap that he's left. This is the first rewind of 2016 on News Talk Hope you're well. Coming up, Paddy Mulligan on the Premier League. Plus, we hear from... New manager Stephen Rochford of Mayo and Keen O'Neill of Kildare after they both watched their sides win yesterday. You heard from Dublin boss Jim Gavin there on the departure of Rory O'Carroll for the season ahead. We'll ask how the dubs will fill the gap at number three following the Kilmacud Croaksman departure to New Zealand where he will work for a year. As well as all that, there's UFC as Joe Duffy loses. We asked, do Irish fighters have a problem with the wrestling part of the discipline? Marco O'Toole will join us on that. Let's start though with the biggest event of the year, Euro 2016. After yesterday's one-all draw with Spurs at Goodison Park, off the balls, Nathan Murphy got the thoughts of fullback Seamus Coleman and asked if the tournament is occupying much of his thoughts, even at this early stage. There's times where you're sitting at home and, and, and you think about it and you look forward to the summer ahead, but most importantly now, between now and then, it's about playing well for your club and making sure, making sure I'm there and and hopefully if I'll be there it's, it'll be a great occasion to enjoy and you know it was great that we qualified the way we did it was a great night in Dublin against Bosnia and, and it is something that the whole country is looking forward to but you know we've got games coming thick and fast here so it's it's hard to hard to think about it but there does be evenings where, where it just pops into your head and you look forward to it Seamus Coleman there you can hear more from him on Off The Ball tonight from 7 with Joe and Woolley uh, that's if you're listening to this on Monday if not you can catch up with the interview later in the week on our website, newstalk.com forward slash off the ball. Now, former Chelsea and Ireland defender Paddy Mulligan is with us to discuss the Premier League weekend. And as always, he's joined by Team 33 and off the ball's Raf Diallo. First, Paddy, uh, before we talk about the football just gone over the weekend, how excited are you about Euro 2016? It's the same calendar year now. It's getting closer. Well, I'm, I'm happy about it, but I'm not, I'm not already excited at the moment uh, when, when the tournament starts. Then I'll start, uh, I'll start getting uh, a bit more organised uh, about it and just hope, hope for, the very, uh, for the very best. First of all, that, it, that it's, it's going to be a good tournament um, for many of the teams, but, uh, but, but also uh, for the Irish setup. Let's hope that, uh, that they do themselves justice. Do you watch football differently from here to the tournament? Do you kind of no. try to pay more attention to the Irish guys? Do you look no. in the papers for Irish scores? No, no, no. You, 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 you'd, you'd, have your, you'd have your fair idea as to, as to who's going who's gonna to produce what. Um, at any at the at the time, and and it'll be he'll he'll probably go for the tried and trusted. I would imagine, unless that somebody um, with real quality comes along in the next three or four months and really stakes a claim, I'd be thinking of of the, the Harry Arters and and uh, and you know um, Richie Tell joining Brighton just m- might be a bad move at this moment in time because they're they're after hitting a a bit of a valley period. Brighton haven't scored in a few games, and uh, they've gone down to. 
around I think it's for, uh, sixth, uh, fourth or sixth position they've gone into now so uh, may, maybe he might get an opportunity Now let's talk about the Premier League weekend Manchester United no worries there they're back to their best I beg your pardon what were you watching? A 2-1 win against Swansea. Wayne Rooney scored. Let's very, just, very let's give lucky. them some positives. Very, very lucky with, 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 uh, in, in the last second. Fabianski uh, header. Fabianski with a smashing header. It was yeah. a wonderful header, wasn't it? Yeah. And just, just, by, the, just by the near post, just about a, a, an inch by the near post. Nobody on the post. Uh, I don't understand that these days. I think you always have to have somebody on the post. And, and uh, but just missed it by 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 a whisker. So the, Swansea will feel a little bit hard done by. But I, I think the first half was utterly forgettable. Uh, both teams just neither team wanted to win, as far as I was concerned, and, and they were just going through the motions. Um, but Wayne Rooney, yes, he got he got a spectacular goal. But it's not it's not before his time. Uh, he's 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 having a he's having a, a dreadful time. Um, I still think that that it's too late now, of course, that uh, United should have sold him three years back. Uh, but they didn't three to four years back. But they didn't. Um, they didn't. Uh, they decided to hold on with him, and, and he, he got a, a huge uh, increase in salary um, in that summer. And I think that he, he caught United with, with their with their trousers down that at that particular time. But United have a long, long way to go as 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 a few of the top so called top clubs in the, in, in the Premier League um, have. But they in particular, because. Uh, Martial, yes, he yes he did well, but I I I couldn't but remind myself of the fact that there was a time there was a spell in the first half when United had nobody up front at all in the eighteen yard box. Young was on the right about to cross the ball in. Martial had had stayed out wide on the left and never made a move to to get. I mean, if 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 Van Hal tells him to stay wide, there are times when he when when he has to stay wide, and there are times when he has to use his football intelligence and get into the box because he's not going to score from wide on the left, but he has every chance of scoring when he, when he's in the box, and yeah. and uh, he never he never made the run. That to me is a huge concern for 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 a, a young man like uh, Martial that I, w- I would have thought that he would have had the football brain uh, to get in there. But didn't make a move, irrespective of what the manager says to you, because you have to make up things along the way. Uh, because the manager will say one thing to you, it doesn't mean to say that you have to you have to be scripted for the whole game. You must use whatever bit of football intelligence that that the man above has given you. Never he never used it. Now he set up Rooney great for the second goal. But the two the two defenders, Rangel in in particular, the right back of of Swansea, needs locking up for allowing Martial to do what he did. It, it was just defensive suicide. A, a little bit like Seamus Coleman yesterday. You know, letting letting Del Alley, you know, just make the run past him, and ah, sure, I'll, I'll be okay. My pace will get me. Doesn't get you there. When he started the run, you should have been with him, Seamus. You weren't, and that's it. And that's that's a bit of a black mark against Coleman as it regards his defensive qualities, because you've got to be, you have to be very concerned. Don't concede, you don't lose. You've got a great chance. And it's something that Alan McLaughlin did pick up on commentary in off the ball. Um, he said that Coleman didn't move enough. Now Coleman talked to Nathan Murphy after the game. And he said that maybe he's not getting forward as much now because Delafeo is in front of him, and he's doing a lot of that work. But he had just come from a forward position. Okay. He in, in the same in the same in, in, in the same bout of play. Coleman had gone forward, yeah. and then he was on his way back, got himself back. The point I was trying to make, sorry, oh, sorry. I should yeah, clarify, is that Roberto Martinez maybe has seen this in Coleman and said, "Look." Maybe we need to anchor him for a while, but do you think no, that you is don't actually need to happening? Him. Not at all. You don't need to anchor him at all. And is it a that, persistent problem with Coleman? Yes. Seamus can't defend on a regular basis well. Now and again he gets away with it. He, 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 he got uh, across covering brilliantly before that and, and snuffed out real danger. Um, but then when, when push came to shove, 
and 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 Delali then made made the run. He made the run and left and and gained two yards on Seamus Coleman before uh, before Seamus had, had decided, oh, I better go. And it was too late then because Delali had, had had made the run. So he's got to be more aware of of people making these runs. Now he had just come back from from being in an attacking position, but that doesn't mean to say that he can't that he can't defend. His first job is to defend first and foremost. The second job is to get over that halfway line and get go across in and get to the end line if you possibly can, or get or get decent cross in. But and, and and he can do that very well. I've no problem with him going over the halfway line, none whatsoever. But again, defensive frailties show up. Uh, show up with him from time to time. So when he when he gets this sorted out, now that might be just uh, one of those things yesterday. But it's just it's just has happened before with him, and uh, you just want to be he has to be careful. Yeah, you mentioned Marshall there earlier, and just in terms of players either being under instruction or using their kind of football and brains. Uh, is it easy enough to tell sometimes when a player is definitely going by the manager's script? Like from your eye, like watching the game on TV or actually being in the stadium as well. Yes, you'd be you'd be you'd be saying to yourself, well, why why isn't he making the run? Like I, I, I was, excuse me. I was at the Porto uh, Chelsea game. <coughs> excuse me, in Stamford Bridge a few weeks back, and Mourinho was physically given the instruction to Aspilicueta and Ivanovic not to go forward. I saw him on the, on the, on the touchdown. I watched him, and the two lads didn't go forward. And Ivanovic had so much space down the right hand side. He gets down there, gets a good ball in. A Chelsea in, in, in clover. But you must, you have to take that chance when the opportunity presents up. You must get people forward, and then, of course, you have to get back as well. That's that's the next trick. Or else you've got a, a, a midfielder like Badage who'll say, "Right, you go ahead, Ivanovic, and I'll I'll step across and I'll cover your space, and don't take your time in getting back. Get back quickly, but just in case it breaks down, I'll, I'm covering for you." That's what team play is all about. Now, I watched Chelsea uh, uh, yesterday against Palace, and they absolutely, in my opinion. Pulverised Palace yesterday. It was a it was no contest from a very early stage. Why? Because they did the basic things very, very well. They passed it to a Chelsea player when it needed pass. Fabregas was on his game. He controlled midfield. Midfield is the engine room of every team. Once you have Fabregas on song, which he hasn't been since this time last year, you've got a great chance. And Costa is making the runs. And Will, uh, Willian is making the runs. And Oscar is back to his best. Hazard, unfortunately, went off uh, early in, through, through injury. But Oscar was, was, was immense yesterday. But Costa leading the line. Terry at the back solidifies everything. And then they, they brought in John, John Obi Mikel instead of, instead of uh, uh, Matic. Because Matic had been going through a bit of a rough time. And he was, he, he was outstanding in the defensive role that he does so well. And, and Hiddick has seen this because Hiddick has worked with him before. So that, that's a real, real Hiddick uh, uh, move. But no matter what the, the, the manager says to you, and the manager should not, in my opinion, be curtailing you, that when you, when you're in an attack, when you have a, the opportunity to go and attack, you go and attack. Yeah. And then you have to get back and you go and defend. I've never come across a manager who, who said to me, don't go over the halfway line. Sure, if they did, I'd never played. <laughs> to, to simple, I never, I never yeah. played for Mourinho, for for instance, at, at at Chelsea because I just, I just want to, I want to bomb on, and then you have to get back, and and let nobody be under any illusion. It is hard work, but you know it's hard work. That's it. That that's that's a given. Of course, it's hard work. It's hard work getting up at at at, at five o'clock in the morning to go to work for for, for some people as well. So, it's it, but you have to go and do it. So it's a given. So I, when I hear these lads say, "Oh, well, it's hard," it's not hard work. Playing, playing, playing professional football, getting so well paid for it, playing, uh, living, living the dream. Oh no, it's a magnificent life. 
Jurgen Klopp was not happy after Liverpool's 2-0 loss. He wasn't the only one, Ham. I can tell you. Carroll among the scorers there. Um, Raph, have we seen angry Klopp before during his time with Dortmund? And if so, what was the effect? There have, yeah, there. I do remember one occasion, I can't remember the game particularly, but just kind of roaring into the face of a fourth official, um, which is, I think, a couple of, a couple of, a couple of seasons ago. Um, that, wasn't, uh, that wasn't a happy roar either. But that was so. angry with officials. What about angry with these players? Paddy, this he's, early in his campaign. He's, he's, he's more than entitled to be angry yeah. with the Liverpool performances against Newcastle, against Crystal Palace at home, against Sunderland, although they won on Wednesday night, and most certainly against West Ham, which I watched on Saturday, they were a disgrace. And I'll name the players as well. Firmino, an absolute embarrassment of a midfielder. Lalana, a joke. Only that he's English, the English media talk him up. An absolute joke. Chan, medio- very mediocre. Lucas, passed it. Benteke. In fairness to Lalana, Lalana made a run when he came on, down the right-hand side. And he put in a smashing cross. And Benteke never even bothered his head to make a run to the far post. And when he did decide to go, he was an hour too late. No football intelligence whatsoever. Another Andy Carroll at Liverpool Football Club. I would be saying, get him out of the place very, very quickly. Now, they've got Moreno left back who does not have a breeze as how to defend. No idea whatsoever. And what will really annoy uh, Klopp, a few things will annoy him. There were five Liverpool players around Noble and not one player put in, put any pressure on Noble or the ball. And he could cross the ball in. Andy Carroll finds himself up against Klein. No contest. Where was Sacco? Where was Lovren? So there are huge defensive frailties there not alone from set pieces, but in, in open play as well. So Liverpool are, are, to me, they're a mid-table team and the expectation of perhaps some Liverpool fans is way out of line because they're not anywhere near uh, where they should be. Klopp has in, inherited an absolute walk and disaster because Brendan Rodgers and his transfer uh, committee at, at, at Anfield have bought very, very badly and not for the first time at at, at uh, at Anfield as this, as this happened so Klopp has a huge job he's got a huge game tomorrow night against Stoke City in, a, in the first leg of the League Cup semi-final he's got a huge job now he's, he's a little bit unfortunate in that Origi uh, is out injured who, who wasn't doing too badly Ings has been out injured since practically the start of the season um, I'm afraid to mention Sturridge because if there's a threat of Sturridge playing he gets injured so you have to be very concerned about his attitude as well at least I, I would be anyway. Uh, Skirtle is out, but Skirtle isn't going to be the, the, the total answer either. So you're looking at, at um, getting a minimum of eight to nine players in into Anfield for, and, and, and for them to be Klopp's players, not Brendan Rodgers' players, because what, what, what Rodgers has bought is... is I, I, just, I, I just cannot figure it out. I couldn't figure out why they bought Lalana from Southampton. I never rated Lalana. Mm. I couldn't figure out Benteke from Villa. He, he seems to me, Benteke, to have the attitude of a Aston Villa player of the current regime that, oh, this is, this is relegated, this is only a small club. I'm afraid, uh, uh, Christian Benteke, that at Liverpool, it's not a small club. 
it's it's a small club playing wise these days, but it's not, it's not a small club. It's a, it's 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 a, it's a huge club, and the expectation is is it, it just goes through the roof. The same as Man United, the same as any club where worth their salt should be. And the quicker that that Klopp gets this sorted out, it's a very difficult job for him. So I'm not going to be too critical of Klopp because he's after inheriting a, an awful lot of, of 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 very mediocre players, players who have very little football intelligence. Coutinho as well. Yeah. Coutinho went. I mean, we. we Liverpool fans and, and, and clubs should be expecting Coutinho to go on and run the show. Coutinho goes missing. And, and there are two things about the players that I've mentioned. They can't head a ball correctly and they cannot tackle. They don't win their tackles. And when you don't win your tackles, not even Lucas is winning the tackles, when you don't win your tackles in the middle of the field or any part of the field, you're in deep trouble. And they can't do it. Moreno forever gets on the wrong side of the man that he's supposed to be getting the tackle in. Forever on the wrong side. I can't for the life of me figure out how he, how he can go and do that and be, and be so predictable with the whole thing. It's, it's, it's so easy for teams yeah. to play against Liverpool. And they're in, for a, they're in for a rude awaiting tomorrow night at Stoke if they, don't, if they don't smarten up their ideas. But aside from all that, it's all positive <laughs> for Liverpool. <laughs> of course it's all positive for them. Look, I'm a, I'm a Liverpool fan yeah. since, since 1959 when Shankly took over. And, and, and it grieves me yeah. to see what's, what's, what's going on there. And I'm sure that Bill Shankly and Bob Paisley uh, are, are turning in their graves uh, at, at the sight of what's going on at Anfield because it's, it's, not, it's, it's not good no matter what anybody says. And this isn't panic stations. Yeah. This has been for a while. I mean, I watched them last Wednesday against Sunderland. We're blessed to beat Sunderland. Blessed. Uh, against Leicester City the previous one. 1-0. Benteke gets goals and he thinks he's jacked a lad. Far from it. Yeah, and uh, speaking of defend, well, defensive issues in the case of Moreno, company obviously is a leader at the back for City, and it's just interesting to see how you take one player out and then City can't defend. Yeah, and they and you know against Watford they did they did okay, they did okay, okay on, yeah. on on from a defensive viewpoint did okay winning two one. No, yeah, and 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 they'll be saying thank God for that magnificent goal of Torres, and even more so the header from Aguero. Uh, Christian Benteke, take note of how you position yourself and how you how you how you challenge for the ball and how you attack the ball because he he, do, he just doesn't have an idea uh, how, how to go and do that. But Aguero was just magnificent, and and uh, Toure with twenty minutes to go, it looks as if he had given up. He he went into a tackle once, lost the ball, sat in the ground. I said, oh, here we go now. He's gonna he's gonna he's gonna be in a mood now for the next twenty minutes when they need to get back into the game, but. Silva with a, with, a, with a very, very smart corner kick. Uh, he gets, gets it into the near post him and he just volleys it with his left foot in, into, the, into the roof of the net. Then Sanya bombs down the right later on. Aguero, he, he's such a clever player. He gets in between the, the, the defenders and what a header. And he plays it to perfection. He's only about, he's only about what, what height to say? About five foot seven, five yeah, foot eight. Like but he, he outjumped everybody. But his timing was the, was the whole secret to it. He knew exactly what Sanya was going to do. And Sanya delivered a wonderful ball and he just finished and placed it so perfectly in past the goalkeeper's left-hand side. Ah, ma- magnificent performance. But a, a good performance by, by City yeah. to come back because Watford are, uh, Watford are no duds. You know, they've got, they've got a lot of trust with Gallo and, and, and Dini up front and, and you know, they, and, and uh, Watson with the, with, the, with the very clever corner kick that ended up in the back net although Kolarov would, would stand and die that he should have been really getting the ball away instead of having his arms around his opponent. He should have been heading the ball away. Concentration levels, not good. So, uh, City got out of jail to a degree, but that's what that's what City that's what City can do. They don't always do it. That's what they can do, and that's why you'd nearly say that they'll go on and win the Premier League. 
Well, I was just about to ask you, actually. I was about to move on to... I can read your mind, you see. And you should you be ashamed of yourself. Well, Tottenham are at 36 points now. They're fourth. Man City are third on 39. Leicester are second on 40. And Arsenal are top on 42. Phil Thompson was on with us on News Talk Breakfast today. He thinks that Spurs could win the league. Do you agree with him? No. Simple as that. Simple as that. Why? No, I don't think they're strong enough. I watched them yesterday, a game that they should have really won in the first half and didn't. And, and that's the story. That's the story of Spurs. That when you're when you're when you're challenging for the league, the expectation levels rise immeasurably. And if they can if they can handle it, and they didn't seem to handle it yesterday, um, then they they'd be in with a shout. But no, I think they tried and trusted, and that'll be Man City uh, for me. I think they'll go in the league because I think Arsenal will slip up again along the way. Although having said that, they 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 got a result on Saturday that perhaps they didn't deserve to get because Newcastle played extremely well. And probably the best that Newcastle have played in a few in, in a few years, and still couldn't win the match. So and Koscielny now got a, got a, got a vital goal. Um, but uh, Arsenal are, are are they're too flaky for me. Now, having said that, if they can get if they can get uh, Coughlin back, Sanchez, and Gazzola back, we'll we'll see. But I I I'd still, I'd, still, I'd go for I'd go for City. I wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't totally rule out Spurs, yeah. but I think I, I think that Spurs will get maximum fourth place. It will be interesting to see how it will affect the Arsenal players. The fact that many of them are getting a few days off a mid-season break, so to speak, and their next Premier League game is against Liverpool on the thirteenth of January. Rafty Allo, <laughs> nice of, handy one for them. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Rafty, I can't wait to hear your reaction after that. Rafty Allo of Team Thirty Three and off the ball, and Paddy Mulligan. As always, thanks for joining us on the Rewind podcast here on News Talk. Thank you. Cheers, happy new year. This is the Rewind on News Talk, still to come UFC, but first Gaelic football. We'll hear shortly from new managers Keen O'Neill of Kildare and Mayo's Stephen Rochford. But first, Dublin boss Jim Gavin is looking for a new fullback after Rory O'Carroll confirmed that he'll be working in New Zealand all of this year. Now, the analysis of Billy Joe Padden to come, he talks to us about what options are there and available to Gavin. But first, let's hear from Gavin himself. He spoke about uh, O'Carroll's departure following their 12 points to 2-6 draw against Wexford in the Bordenamona O'Byrne Cup uh, in Enniscorthy. We wish them the very best. Uh, we've always said to players that it's important to get a life balance, you know, between family, their profession and their, their sport, which is, which is GAA. You know, we'll we, we miss them, but um, you know, we certainly wish them the, wish them the best. Uh, the sun, he goes with the sun, he's back, and, and uh, we look forward to the day when, when Rory uh, puts on a, an, an, a county jersey and a jersey with his club, Kim McCroke-Cogsdale, certainly miss him as well. It's not just about us. You know, we, I think we've, we've got uh, good cover. A player like Rory, you want to have around, like Alan, you want to have around, but you know, it, it, we've, we've got a big squad. We've always espoused the, the, the team ethic, and um, it's, 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 you know, it's... it's great opportunity for Rory uh, to go away and experience a different culture and lifestyle for a year or two um, and it's a great opportunity for for the, for the, for the gap that he's left and, 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 and I'm sure there'll be, a, there'll be players pushing for that particular position. A former Mayo and Armagh footballer Billy Joe Padden joins us. Billy Joe, firstly, what's your reaction to the news that Rory O'Carroll won't be available to Dublin for 2016? Yeah, I'm surprised Rory has decided to leave. When you think about what Dublin have been able to do in the last four or five seasons and they're coming back looking into this season with the opportunity to win, you know, all Ireland's back to back and maybe make it four out of six. And if Dublin were to do that, you really could consider them up there as, you know, with the teams that Tyrone and Kerry had back in the noughties in terms of having sort of a dynasty and being able to be a, you know, 
be the top team over a longer period of time. But without knowing Rory personally, I can understand why a young man, like he's still in 26, he wants to go off and see a bit of the world and maybe do something differently work-wise. And then he's probably thinking in the back of his mind, he can come back after a year or maybe two years and he'll still have loads of football left in him. And he's going to be coming back into you know a very, very... You know, strong and successful Dublin setup. Um, I think it's going to be a very big loss um, because he's such an important player for them. He gives them so much versatility because he can basically leave him there full, full back on his own and he can deal with the faster, smaller guys and he can also deal with the more physical players. So he's a very versatile player and I think it's something that Dublin will have to work really hard on to try and fill the gap he's going to leave. I guess we won't know until later in the year, but how damaging do you think this could be for Dublin? Well, of course, this is going to be a loss to Dublin. You know, you can't lose a player of the calibre of Rory O'Carroll and not feel it. Dublin, though, on the other hand, are probably the county that have the deepest squad. They've so many good young players coming through the 21 ranks that are just looking to get an opportunity. And it really will come down to maybe one of the real testing games that they'll have later on the season in an all Ireland semi-final or final where we'll actually find out whether Rory, Rory O'Carroll has been a big miss for Dublin. I think that the thing that he offers that some other counties just don't have in terms of full-back because full-back is a problem position for a lot of counties is that he can do the he can mark a big target man because he's got the size and the strength and he's decent in the air and then he's also athletic enough to move side to side on a smaller, sharper forward. So he offers you that that sort of uh, uh, comfort that he can do that, whereas other counties might have to use a sweeper in, in that situation. On the other hand, you'll be looking at some of the other All-Ireland contenders and they'll be thinking the Kerrys and Donegal's and Mayo's, they, uh, they'll be thinking, well, you know, Roy O'Carroll is a player that we've had to try and get the better of over the last number of years. We haven't been able to do it. He's been so consistent that maybe with him gone, Dublin are obviously going to be a bit weaker and it'll maybe give a psychological boost to some of the other counties that'll come up to face Dublin later on in the season. But obviously he's going to be a loss, but if there is one county that can, I suppose, uh, bear that loss, it will be Dublin considering all the good young players they have. Now, Jim Gavin is doing what any manager would do. I guess he's saying, look, we have options, we have cover. And one of those options maybe is putting Philly McMahon in at number three. But if you do that, are you losing a lot of Philly's positives from when he's playing at cornerback? Yeah, well, Dublin have loads of options, you know, all over the field because their, their, their panel is so strong. I think that you probably look at a player like Philly McMahon and he's the closest thing they have to Roy O'Carroll and that he's physically very strong. He's a great athlete. You know, he's decent in the air and he has that versatility that he can mark a small nippy guy or a guy that's really big and strong, a target man. Um, I just think that if you are to do that and you're to say to Philly McMahon, you know, you're, you're going to be number three all season, well, then you're taking away something from Philly McMahon's natural game and you're taking away as a result you're taking away something from Dublin because even we've seen last year in the championship particularly against Mayo in some of those games and, he, and definitely in the All-Ireland final where he followed uh, Colin Cooper up the field and actually hurt Kerry going the other way and Philly Man has that option if you're to move him to full back you know, he's not going to be able to do that. He's going to have to play a much more disciplined game where you just have to be a man marker, mind the house, be a physical presence around the square. So that will, would definitely take something away from Philly McMahon. Now, in saying that, as I said, Dublin are so strong, maybe there's somebody there that can go in and hold down that number three jersey and that would still leave Philly McMahon to be the sort of player that you can use in many different roles throughout the season. And I, I think, from Jim Gavin's point of view, that that's what he'll be hoping for. He'll be hoping that somebody steps up, puts their hand up and says, I can do this job at fullback and and that would leave Philly McMahon to be a bit more versatile and that he could play some games in the half-back line or even do a specific man-marking job on, on, on a corner forward. And I think that that's what Jim would be looking at to, to try and unearth that player throughout the, the National League campaign. 
Billy Joe Padden on the departure of Rory O'Carroll to New Zealand for a year and how the dubs might replace him. Kildare are under new management and it started well for them over the weekend beating DIT 24 points to 1-7 in Newbridge. After the game I spoke to uh, new boss Kean O'Neill about what he's looking for in pre-season and expectations for the year ahead. But first, he talked about their opening performance. Yeah, I'm very happy with the 24 points. Um, it's always nice to score goals, but if you're scoring 24 points, then uh, it's certainly not a problem. Um, there was a nice spread across the players as well, which is quite pleasing too. Uh, quite a lot of our forwards chipped in, which is uh, which is always good to see. A um, little bit slow to start, but once they found their groove, you know, because a lot of them wouldn't have played together before, they, they really look comfortable out there in a Kildare jersey, which, which is the most important thing, especially for the debutants. I guess this early in the season, we're all looking to see what's changed, what's being done differently. Guys seemed a bit more eager to shoot. They seemed a bit quicker to shoot. And today, that was great. It worked out. Is that something that you had worked on in the last couple of weeks and months that you've had these guys? Well, not necessarily shooting, but we just want to play more football. You know, we want to play a you know, more high-octane, high-intensity game, if you like, and, uh, you know, more kicking. And, you know, I really believe, it's my own personal philosophy, that if you can move that ball a bit faster, you create more space for yourself. And, and with space comes scoring opportunities. Um, and that was a challenge, particularly early on today when, um, when DIT had, you know, quite a lot of men behind the ball. We did struggle to get our shots off and we were a bit slow to get into it. But I think once they found a groove... Um, that philosophy ran through, whereby we moved the ball quicker, they were able to get their shots off earlier, and we had very few uh, missed opportunities, which is pleasing, which hasn't always been the case with Kildare teams in the past. Um, and a lot of guys took their chances when they got them today. I'm very, very happy for them. Is that something that you've tried to do in training, kind of gives them confidence as footballers? If that, if that is the case, it looked every bit of it today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, I think it's fair to say their their confidence took quite a big hit last year with uh, with two heavy defeats. Um, but I think sometimes that makes it a little bit easier for them when a new management team comes in um, whereby they see it as a clean slate and it's also easier for, for the management as opposed to the same group coming in and trying to lift that confidence having been there when things went wrong the year before um, there's a great mood in the camp and they're working really hard for such a large panel there's a real togetherness there so um, which makes our job of cutting all the more difficult but no the football is there in every session and their willingness to learn or improve is there and I think we saw it on the pitch today. They, they needed to take all the credit because it's, it's them to put the work in. Adam Turlow with nine points. I know it's probably not something a manager wants to do this early in the season, talk about individuals, but that was quite a display. He kind of summed up a lot of what it looks like you're trying to do with this Kildare team today. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, Adam had a great game and contributed from play and from freeze. Um, but once again, it comes back to what everyone else is doing to allow Adam to move into those positions to kick the scores. He kicked brilliantly. Um, but guys really made channels open for him, and, and that's the team ethic coming in. Um, one thing we'll be very aware of is it doesn't matter who kicks the scores as long as the ball goes over the bar. Um, and once again, for a group of guys that are fighting for places on a squad, which can be a difficult place to be, um, to still work tirelessly for each other is a very positive sign from my own perspective. Good or bad thing that there's a big expectancy on this group of players even this early in the league? I suppose people are looking and they're thinking, minimum, we've got to get out of Division 3. Yeah, I, that pressure isn't there within the squad, um, believe it or not, because it, it, it's easy for people on the outside to tell us what we should be doing and how we should be doing it. But, I mean, only what happens between within the four walls of the dressing room, that, that we can really only tell uh, where our mindset is at. We promised and we vowed to ourselves that we'd be competitive in every single match. 
Um, and we were very competitive today. A little bit worrying at the end where we actually lost our focus for a period and gave up two or three goal chances to, to DIT. That's something we look at and that's a learning we'll take forward. But um, no, we'll focus on the objectives we set for ourselves and uh, we, we won't be bothered by any outside kind of influences on that. And another game Wednesday night, that's probably a good thing, guys. I guess don't want to train too much at this time of year. They want to get out there and show you what they can do. And it's, it's a particularly tough time for some guys. For some guys, this is the biggest part of the year because... Mm. They want to be in that championship. They want to be in your plans. And this is the chance that they have to, to, to prove they should be. Absolutely. I mean, uh, as a new manager coming in with a very large squad, I'm very grateful for the O'Byrne Cup. Um, because more matches in quite a short period of time means more players get real opportunities. Not kind of 10-minute cameos off a bench where they're trying to force themselves into the game. I mean, anyone that didn't start today is guaranteed start uh, on Wednesday. And that's great for them um, because some of them actually did get that 10, 15 minutes today. But that wasn't to show off. It was just to get minutes into them so that they can really hit the ground running on Wednesday night. So um, it's a great opportunity for them. We've tried not to put any pressure on them to force a performance just because there's a cut in the panel. We just want them to express themselves and play within the general philosophy that we're operating and training. And I think they did that today. Best of luck with the year ahead. Thanks, my man. This is the Rewind on News Talk, and that's new Kildare manager Keane O'Neill. Uh, next up for them, by the way, Louth in Hawkfield in Newbridge uh, this coming Wednesday night. In Castle Bar, Mayo opened up their FBD League campaign with a 112 to 110 win over NUIG. Kevin McLaughlin scoring 1 4 there. After the match, new Mayo manager Stephen Rochford spoke with Midwest Radio's Mike Finnerty. You know, we still have plenty of work to do. Uh... <laughs> Glad the result. I thought uh, a lot of lads tried very, very hard. Um, things that we'd asked them to, to do in the main, I think, you know, that, that they were trying to do. But obviously, you know, um, you know, a bit of fatigue kicked in there at times. I think we switched off. Uh, certainly, we did, you know, NUIG came out of the blocks a lot quicker. Uh, I thought we regrouped well. We came back to five points to three. Uh, started well again then in the second half and went into a five-point lead. And then we fell asleep and, you know... Uh, at this stage of the year we haven't obviously we've been on the pitch maybe twice and individual mistakes and little things like that come, come back to hurt you and um, you know we're, we're, we're probably you know I, th- I think we've probably created two or three more goal chances but uh, weren't sharp enough obviously uh, at this stage in the season to be able to take them What was the message to the lads going out? What did you ask of them? What was required of them today? Oh, look I, I mean you know you had to be cognizant of that we had trained maybe two, three times, you know, um, there was, there was what, I think, four debutants, uh, maybe five debutants in, in, in that. Looked to, to try and keep the game very simple, try and keep it uh, positive from the point of view, looking to move the ball uh, at, a, at a pace that's probably, the, you know, the third of the January. So, you know, I think, think you had to be, be able to reflect on, on, on those aspects um, and in the main, you know, just remain positive and tackle and work hard and, you know, for, even to, to use the session, you know, for, for their fitness levels. Some of the guys that would have come through from last year, the, the survivors from the Dublin game, look to be in great shape. That must be very pleasing for you to see how they've presented themselves for action again at the start of the year. Yeah, well, look, they're a very, very responsible group. Um, you know, they would have been back uh, doing some work with Barry Solon uh, probably since probably very early in November before uh, an appointment was made. So, um, yeah, look, we're, we're, we're reasonably happy. We'll, we'll, we'll have a look at, um, at, at some of the stats and the analysis coming out of it and seeing, you know, how, how, how those guys uh, read. Was it a, a strange experience being on the sideline, being Mayo manager for the first time? So much talk about it in the last few weeks, but to be actually in there in the in the midst of it, um, I wouldn't say it was uh, it was strange. You know, um, 
suppose once you're, you're standing on the sideline, you might be standing on the sideline, it might be a little bit different some, some, at, at a later stage in the year. Um, but no, you know, d- d- delighted, as I said, to, to be afforded the opportunity, uh, delighted with the win and delighted with the spirit and the honesty of the group. Yeah, how important was it to win it, especially when they got the penalty to make it 110 to 110? I suppose in those last 10 minutes, you, you got to learn a little about the group. Yeah, well, look, I mean, you know, I, w- I wouldn't say that we're, you know, setting targets on, on any such competition, but you take every game uh, on its own merits. And, you know, we want to be competitive in every game and we want to win each game uh, from that aspect. Whether it always materialises or not, you know, you, 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 you'll probably reflect and see, you know, what went your way or not. Uh, I think in the main, we're, we're good value for it. Um, obviously, NUIG uh, have done a bit of work. They've been together, whatever, three or four months from, from their own league football. But, you know, I would expect no less from the boys to, to react in the, in, in the manner in which they did, um, and I think we, you know we probably created another goal chance or two there, and um, you know Tom Parson broke through there another day that would might have rattled on top of the net and uh, it, it flicked on the outside of the post. This is the Rewind on News Talk and that's new Mayo manager Stephen Rochford speaking to Midwest Radio's Mike Finnerty. Now just before we go, let's talk UFC. Joe Duffy uh, was defeated by Dustin Poirier in the lightweight division. Over the weekend, it's Duffy's first ever UFC defeat. Uh, MMA broadcaster and journalist Mark O'Toole joins us. Mark, what did you make of Duffy's loss? Well, first of all, it has to be said, uh, from from the outset, it was a pretty spectacular fight. It was uh, it, it was a really enjoyable fight. Both men uh, got fairly involved. Joe Duffy's striking looked great. Dustin Poirier looked um, really rejuvenated, as he has uh, since his loss against Conor McGregor. Uh, he was good either side of the loss of Conor McGregor and perhaps uh, his win against uh, another exciting uh, prospect in Joe Duffy is putting into stark contrast how well um, Conor McGregor has done and just how much of an outlier he is uh, in the UFC as a real standout athlete. Um, but you did ask, um, what did Joe Duffy do wrong? And I think what we've seen is a, a kind of ongoing trend in Irish fighters just not being uh, as well-equipped at wrestling as their American counterparts. Um, mixed martial arts can prizes of many different components and styles of fighting and uh, it's how you marry them all together and how you uh, put a strategy in place to beat your opponent and one thing we've seen with Irish athletes uh, more often than not uh, competing in the UFC or even you know on the local circus in Bama and Cage Warriors is that their wrestling isn't quite where it needs to be or even their defense against the wrestling takedown isn't quite where it needs to be and despite uh, Joe Duffy clearly being perhaps the better striker and the more uh, crisp striker than um, than Dustin Poirier his wrestling he was taken down at will by Dustin Poirier and that's where really where he lost the fight um, he could have won in the last few seconds he got a triangle choke on uh, Dustin Poirier but Poirier was saved by the bell but in reality um, you know one judge gave the gave the fight uh, 30-26 to um, to Poirier which uh, would mean there was an 8-10 round in there that Poirier uh, dominated uh, the other judges gave it uh, probably a more accurate 27-30 uh, to Poirier and that would lead you to believe it was a pretty dominant performance for Poirier it wasn't quite that dominant but the wrestling certainly did sway it majorly in, in, in terms of Poirier's uh, favour We all know that Duffy can strike uh, boxing for example is a big part of his bo- background um, would this have been a worry pre-fight, this, this wrestling thing, or is it something that kind of was only exposed and it's something he can now go and work on? 
Well, like, you know, Duffy is quite a complete fighter. Uh, Joe Rogan has even uh, said that, the UFC co-commentator, um, even before uh, Duffy went and had, I think it was seven or eight uh, professional boxing fights undefeated. He uh, was a black belt in uh, Taekwondo, which is uh, more kicking and strikes with the legs. He's a black belt in traditional Japanese jiu-jitsu and his uh, submissions and grappling is brilliant. But wrestling is more about the takedown and more about dominating and smothering uh, someone on the round. It, it, it would look aesthetically at like. Uh, we have a lot of standout fighters uh, that have been produced out of Ireland or produced uh, with Irish influences. Joe Duffy being one, Gunnar Nelson being another, Conor McGregor. Uh, lots of great guys like that. But what we have seen more and more uh, recently is these guys when they're facing a takedown or they're facing a guy that uh, is looking to take them down and smothering them with wrestling pretty much the soccer equivalent of stopping a good player playing uh, we haven't had the answer to it and so far we've kind of had the attitude that oh it's not as big as deal as it make uh, as it should be made out to be but um, I think Irish MMA probably needs to look at it a bit closer and just say, well, you know what, it's a skill set that we're not quite up to scratch on and how do we fill in that gap? Do you bring over wrestling coaches and guys who've got expertise, probably from the USA? You've mentioned that that's kind of the best place to look when it comes to wrestling. Yeah, like, I mean, there's... Uh, the US definitely do dominate in wrestling. Uh, It's quite interesting at the moment. There's a trend going on about how uh, in the 2000s, you know, wrestling overtook Brazilian jiu-jitsu as the predominant base to have. And it was a lot of US fighters like, say, the likes of Mark Coleman and a few other uh, standout UFC uh, fighters that um, uh, brought the dominancy of that. And now it's going back towards striking the likes of Conor McGregor. Um, In in reality, it's a mixture of all, but um, I do know SBG have a very good coach, I think, from Eastern Europe, and there's a lot of, you know, particularly if you look at the Olympics, a lot of the great uh, wrestling nations uh, are are from the Middle East, Iran being one of them. Uh, So that might be one option, Um, but I think you definitely do need to bring in expertise from the outside in. Um, You know, Ireland's beginning to get a really good uh, reputation for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and that's because there's been a lot of guys that have come into the country or a lot of guys like John Kavna or like some of the other guys around like Paul Fox in um, in uh, in Royal Grappling and Mead uh, that have gone abroad and, and learned from people abroad um, and there just isn't a culture of wrestling here and uh, you know so far we've said we, well we can do without it uh, and I don't think that's probably a good enough answer you still need to constantly be expanding your game, game set and I think it's something that Joe Duffy will probably look at now. He's actually fighting out of a gym in Canada, TriStar, that is renowned for having good wrestling. Wrestling, So I think it's something he just needs to, to go back to the drawing book on. But it does reveal a wider question for Irish MMA, I think. And just before I let you go, Mark, on Joe Duffy specifically, sometimes you know, watch a guy lose and you think, ooh, he might struggle to get a, a decent fight for quite some time. Or, you know, the UFC might lose a bit of interest in this guy. That doesn't seem to be the case with Joe because there is such a thing as a good defeat and well if there is such a thing as a good defeat then this seems to be one there seems to be a lot of positives in Joe's performance 
Yeah, like fortunately enough, the UFC as an organisation, as long as you put on an entertaining fight, you will always have value. And it's not a case of, you know, if you have one loss in boxing, you might disappear for two or three years and have to go work all the way back up. It's it, it's not as uh, as, as uh, difficult as that. Uh, it was a very entertaining fight. Uh, Joe Duffy has uh, put on a lot of entertaining fights and has shown a capacity for a spectacular um uh, knockout upon an occasion or a good su- sub upon an occasion uh, that will keep him in the UFC's good books and we've also seen the viewing figures uh, Dana White as much of a grain of salt you take this with uh, was saying um, that this was the most watched um, the most watched uh, fight on Fight Pass it was um uh, the top of the preliminary card and they're putting on more and more kind of marquee fights uh, to sell the fight pass which is obviously the UFC's own um, network uh, online network where you can view all their fights or past archive fights and he was saying it was the most watched ever so that, that will stand Duffy in the good books as well as that he was coming up against a guy against Dustin Poirier and you know a lot of people probably as a result of Conor McGregor kind of mercilessly uh, slagging him over <laughs> in the build-up to their own fight, uh, probably uh, don't appreciate how good a fighter Dustin Poirier is. And I think we're going to see Poirier, who's now moved up to the lightweight division, is going to make a serious run at the title. So um, I don't think it's uh, he's not a fighter you should be ashamed to lose to. MMA broadcaster and journalist Marco Tool, thanks for joining us here on The Rewind on News Talk. No problem, Oshin. Well, that's it for this week. Don't forget, next weekend is an FA Cup weekend. We'll have reaction to all of that, as well as Munster and Ulster's delayed Champions Cup clashes uh, back here next Monday on the Rewind podcast. As well as all that, we'll have more on the GEA preseason competitions as they continue and you get a look at some of the players who might be making a name for themselves in 2016. Until next week, take care and Happy New Year. Rewind with Oisín Langan. Might be a chance for Aaron Lennon, the former Spurs man! Aaron Lennon completely against the run of play. Scores for Everton against this former club. He doesn't celebrate, but his teammates are celebrating. Now a chance inside the area for Deli oh. Alley. A Deli Alley equalises for Tottenham. We all knew as individuals we, we weren't good enough defensively. And that's not just a back four, that's as a, that's as a whole unit. And, and that's what we worked on as a team, the, the full the full unit. Getting back into the proper possessions and everyone doing their job to the best of their ability. And thought we defended better at times today. The Carter couldn't get there and it's been turned in by Diego Costa. 3-0 Chelsea lead. And Diego Costa comes across to congratulate William, whose direct running, incision and brilliant all-round play has torn Palace asunder again. Hungry, Dave. These Chelsea players are hungry again. They've rediscovered it. A player like Rory, you want to have around, like Alan, you want to have around, but we've got a big squad. Great opportunity for Rory uh, to go away and experience it from culture and lifestyle, and it's a great opportunity for, for the gap that he's left.